The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Swing and a high fly ball. Right field and deep. Geyer to the wall. Rays win. Rays win. Rays win. D-Man Toy with a two-run walk-off home run. The Rays winning ways here at Tropicana Field continue. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. Bounce towards first and through a base hit right field. He's going to take a turnaround first and try for second. Here comes the throw by Gretchik. He is safe at second base. A hustle double for Kiermaier. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Good morning and welcome to our latest show. Today we sit down with Jalen Beeks and discuss what was behind his success before the horrific injury this week. We chat with Brian Anderson of Fox Sports Sun about all the pitching injuries. Joe Ryan will join us from Port Charlotte. We'll discuss amateur scouting in a COVID world with Sid Malone and Mike Farron will be alongside to discuss the trading deadline. Welcome back to This Week in Race Baseball. I'm Neil Solons. You know, in nine years I've never done an interview and then had that player get hurt. Until now, but I felt the conversation with Jalen Beeks needed to be aired because he's had such a big impact on this year's club. We started out by discussing about pitching in such a high leverage role in relief after being primarily a starter. Uh, I had one actually in college, my sophomore year at Arkansas, I was a reliever and I came into these types of situations. But I mean, that was 2013. So it's been seven years uh, since I was in those situations, which I always loved, I loved coming out of the bullpen, but I just, my stuff seemed to be, uh, more along the lines of a starter, long relief pitcher. But right now, just because of need, I've gotten opportunities, uh, later in the game and I'm just trying to do the best I can, best I can with them. Like I said, until those, until those other guys get back, obviously we got a lot of guys hurt and we're a better team with them, uh, on it. No question. It obviously would become a very deep bullpen once those guys come back. But what's allowed you to succeed, do you think, in the shorter spurts that you've had? And why do you think your stuff is played up, too? Because it seems to be a lot crisper. Yeah, um, I think coming into the season, I made adjustments. I, I would like to say that I would have made a lot of improvements if I had been in the bullpen or not. Stepping across my body, getting behind the baseball more, working on my slider. I haven't thrown any curveballs this year. Those are all things that I did before all this happened. Um, you know, it's hard to say if the role change has had anything to do with it. Um, I'm trying to just stay mentally prepared. And if, you know, when those guys come back and I go back to throwing more longer innings, different role, or if I stay in the same role, I'm just going to keep doing the same things um, and just try to maximize my stuff. You mentioned uh, mental, the mental side of things. You've also improved that tremendously, too. How have you improved yep. your mental game? Yeah, uh, just uh, releasing a lot of anxiety, I think. Uh, I mean, everybody with any job, you get anxiety. I know so many people are going through furlough and everything like that with COVID right now. And there's so much anxiety in the world. It's the same thing in baseball. There's a lot of pressures. And, you know, I want to be the best I can be. Just releasing that to God, uh, just submitting to his will and not my own. I tried to, I'm a control freak. I like to control everything in my life. But I've had to you know, really learn and adapt and release a lot of that to the Lord. Um, and I think that mentally I have, you know, just been freed. How helpful has Justin Sua been with the mental side of the game for you? And what types of exercises has he given you to help you release and release that anxiety? Yeah, I mean, Justin's awesome. I think I haven't met anybody like him. I mean, he is, he knows how to relate so well and make us baseball jocks understand uh, what he's saying. Um, but the biggest thing, I'd say two biggest things, um, just learning how the brain works 
and how positive thoughts can affect uh, your physical performance has been big for me. And just uh, trying to cancel the negative thoughts and have only positive in my mind. And then also he's encouraged me to uh, write notes in a notebook after games. And that also helps me to just to release the results, whether they're good or bad after the game so I can move on. So you mentioned that a lot of people are dealing with anxiety and you're right throughout, throughout this country with all that's going on. What are some things that you would suggest then for the average fan who's back home trying to deal with anxiety that might help them? Absolutely. I mean, being a Christian, being have my faith in the Lord, I would always just push Jesus is the answer to pretty much any 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 question you have, like Jesus is the answer. And then just for me, routine, just find a routine and just try to be the best you can be every day. You can't control everything. Obviously, with everything that's going on, you can be the best you can be and it doesn't work out. Um, and I think that's where Jesus comes in, where he's working for you and he gives you that joy and that peace. Um, so that's what I would say. You mentioned control. Did you have difficulty letting go of previous outings and were not able to stay as present? Or or do you think you're staying more present now too? Yes, that's the big thing. Uh, another thing from Justin Sua, he says, if you're concentrating on the past too much, whether it's good or bad, you can't focus on the present. And also if you're concentrating on what's going to happen in the future too much, you can't concentrate on the present. And the only thing that affects those is the present. So uh, just eliminating the past and the future, like I said, giving those to, to God and just concentrating on what I can do right now. I actually have inside my, my hat. Uh, so when I'm on the mound, a question, what now? So it just keeps me in the present. What do I do in this moment? Not what happened, not what's going to happen. What am I going to do right now? What's my plan? And that's really kept me grounded. When did you write it there? Is that at the start of the season? Yep, start of the season. Actually, it was, uh, you know, summer summer camp or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I had a talk with Justin Sua, and he says, and that's pretty much what he explained. Um, and I was like, he's, he said, give yourself something to bring you back to the present. And that's just what I came up with, what was comfortable with me and what made the most sense. And it asks a question so I can answer it. Like it's something I can bring to the table, um, which I really like. That's awesome. And obviously it's Thanks. succeeding for you. You also decided to bring your family to St. Petersburg area from back at home in Arkansas during this. How important was that for you? And how is that helping you get through what's certainly a challenging time for everybody? Absolutely. Obviously, there was we had had to talk about it. We had we had decisions to make, but ultimately, we just we're not good when we're apart. And so we went into it together. I I said we're gonna have to stay inside. Like I know with a four and a two year old, it's gonna be tough not to be able to go out and play on the playground and do everything. But in the end, uh, my family we just we just love being together, and we'll figure it out as we go. Uh, whether we you know. Coming into it, we didn't know if we were going to have a season and what is it going to look like, but we, we just made a pact to stay together um, and be there for each other, and that's, that's just what happened. What's been the greatest challenge with that? You mentioned having a four- and a two-year-old that can't go outside. I would guess the road trips are especially hard for Bree and, and the kids. Yes, yes. I mean, her just sitting at, you know, just with them, just the three of them, can't go out and do much, can't go out and eat. I mean, uh, but, you know, my wife is absolutely awesome. She's an awesome mother, awesome wife. And she's just really taken it. It makes me feel better that they have that they have each other. Um, because also, honestly, I got two great kids and a wife and she keeps them on their toes. Uh, she's teaching them. She's homeschooling as much as she can for a four and a two year old. She's got projects for them. She keeps them busy, even though it's inside. Um, and I think they're doing pretty good. Does a four-year-old understand what you do yet? Um, and does your four-year-old ever watch you on TV pitch? 
Yeah, honestly, my my two-year-old understands that I play baseball. He loves it. He loves that I play baseball. And Breckley, my four-year-old, she understands uh, that I have to go. She might not like it all the time. Just the other day, she said, Daddy, I understand that you have to go play baseball, but I just wish you didn't have to. I understand that that's your job, but I just wish you'd stay here with me. So that's obviously tough, especially going – we just went on an 11-day road trip. Really tough. All you can do is FaceTime, and they're sitting at home wondering where Daddy is. Obviously, that's really hard on me, and it's hard on my wife. But, you know, I just do the best I can to explain that Daddy's got a job to do. Um, and when you're older, you'll have a job, and you got to take care of your family if you're blessed enough to have one. It's good perspective, certainly, for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A couple years ago, you came to this organization at the trading deadline. It's hard to believe now we're just beyond the midway point of the season. We're coming up on the trading deadline. Yep. What do you remember about being moved from Boston to the Rays? And what has happened for you since that point, do you think? Yeah, um, I mean, I remember it being a crazy time. We were in Pawtucket. Obviously, I'd gotten – I got made my debut with the Red Sox. So I was kind of on that in-between track and just staying ready to be ready to go up to the to the big leagues if they call. We just got the call and said, hey, you're going to the Rays. We appreciate it, everything you've done, but you're gone. And uh, I was starting two days later in the big leagues, going from AAA to the big leagues. And it was a crazy time. Obviously, I had to fly out and left my wife and two kids to pack up everything we own and moving on down to Florida. So um, it was. A, I remember it being crazy and hectic, but also Bree even said the other day that that was the most exciting and fun we've had. Uh, just like an adventure, all four of us. So if I, th I feel like your perspective in it is just if you want to enjoy something, you can figure out a way to just have joy with the ones you're, ones you're around and just go and take advantage of whatever's happening. And then since then, obviously, I've been in the big leagues pretty much since, and it's been absolutely awesome being with the Rays organization. They have done so much for me. I mean, the people here are fantastic, and that's, I think that's the main thing, good people. It just makes everything, makes my job so much easier when I get on the mound of pitch. What advice would you give? Because you got traded two years ago. Nick Anderson got traded over here last year at the deadline. What advice would you give to a guy who comes to this organization at the deadline where you don't have a whole lot of time and the games obviously mean a lot? Yeah. There's not much to say. You just you just got to adapt and be open to adapting. Obviously, you're going to a brand new organization. So they're, they're going to, um, I'd say, just be open to adapting and just go and do what you do well. Don't try to be anybody you're not. Just use your strengths as a pitcher or a hitter, whatever you do. Just maximize those and see what happens. And for you, what, what do you think will be the keys for this group in the second half? It's hard to call it the second half of the season because it's a 60-game season, but here we are in the second half of it. What do you think are the keys for this group going forward? Because obviously the one loss record was very good in the first half. You know, we just got to stay – I keep using stay grounded, but I think it's such a good – term um just to not let outside things affect us uh we got a pretty good group we got a really good group but we like to keep it light and have fun and just compete to the best of our abilities and i love that because we don't put added pressure on ourselves we just we don't care as a unit we just don't care we're just going to go play and ma every every person is going to maximize what they do best and trust in each other which is great i haven't had that kind of feeling since college honestly that you just you're playing with freedom and your guys got your back, and that's what we just need to continue to do, not let outside expectations or anything uh, mess with what we got going on. You guys, because of COVID, you, the, the circumstances, the way the bullpens are set up are very different. You're sitting in the stands. You're, you're all kind of separated. Is the bullpen chemistry different? And if so, if not, what allows you guys to stay loose and relaxed? 
Yeah. Um, obviously, we're a touchy-feely group. We like to give hugs and high-fives, and, you know, we get excited a lot for little things, but obviously that's all been restricted this year for, for – it's a, it's a good thing. Well, that needs to happen, obviously. Um, but, you know, we just talk a lot. Uh, we just hang out, and there's not really much else to do. But we just, you know – we got to, I, I'm sure, you know, we have a talkative group, so we make up for that with conversations and just, um, we just hang out the best we can with the, with the circumstances and see what happens. Funniest guy in the group is who? Funniest guy in the group in the bullpen. Mm-hmm. Bullpen. Um, I mean, Oliver Drake is a character. Um, we got, a, we got a bunch of clowns down there, to be honest. Um, Pete Fairbanks has got some, He's more of a sarcasm guy. I know we got a pretty good group and we all, we got a bunch of group traps chats going on down there. And uh, I don't know, everybody's got their own little, little way. That's Jalen Beeks. And we certainly wish him a speedy recovery. Brian Anderson, right after this, this is the Rays Baseball Network. Well, we continue on this week in Rays Baseball and joining us now from Fox Sports Sun is Brian Anderson in VA. Um, as a former major league pitcher, you probably more than anyone can appreciate what has happened to this group and how they've been able to survive it. It's, I mean, incredible is the word that comes to mind. I mean, you know, let's just do the simple math. This team is what now, 33, 34 games into the season. You've got uh, 10 different guys that have a save. That would be unbelievable for a full 162-game schedule. And just over a month in, you've got 10 different guys with a save. You've got like 14 different guys with a win. And you have basically, really outside of Diego Castillo, you've got your 7th, 8th, and ninth inning high-leverage relievers all on the IL. It is absolutely amazing, number one, that there are that many guys on the IL and that many important guys on the IL as far as pitchers go. And number two, that the organization has been able to keep this team afloat, not only afloat, but thriving. Guys are getting opportunities. Guys are stepping up. It's been phenomenal to watch everybody just say, you know, it's it really is that whole mantra, next man up, and they're doing the job. Everyone deserves a lot of credit here. It begins with the players and the fact that guys like Tyler Glass now are starting to get stretched out. I think if you can get some of these guys back, really gives you reason to be excited about not only the end of the regular season, but what could come in October. And, and think about that. You, you get these guys back stretched out. They're fresh. You know, they, they've got a li- lot of life left in their arms. Uh, to be able to go through what will end up being an expanded playoffs anyway. So you're going to be physically and mentally pushed uh, in the postseason this year for sure. And so you, you have a chance to have everybody coming back, you know, maybe a little bit staggered, but, you know, have a, a, a pitching staff that's at full strength by the time the real meaningful games roll around. And so, yeah, I, I think it's exciting. I thought that there were the expectations for this team were going to be huge regardless uh, and the simple fact that now you're starting to see the, the finish line, you're seeing what they're accomplishing at less than full strength, and you've got to be just fired up uh, to see where they can take this. Blake Snell goes today. Tyler Glasnow had a great start earlier in the week. Both of those guys seem to be getting into form. I mean, is that fair to say from your perspective? I think for sure. I think Blake, the last couple of times we've seen him, it's been the Blake Snell that we remember from the Cy Young award-winning year, where he goes out, he dominates the strike zone with his fastball, and then he lets his three very good secondary pitches go to work. And, and you know, I'll tell you, when he's good with that fastball, especially 
when it's up there at the top of the zone, and then he can roll in that curveball. We've seen a little bit more of the slider from time to time, kind of depending on the matchup, depending on the team. He's not afraid to throw his changeup even behind in the count. He's a four-pitch guy that can mix well, but it all starts with fastball command. And he doesn't have to be perfect with fastball command. He's never going to be a spot guy. But if he's just getting it into the general area that he wants it to, he is extremely dangerous. You know, and you want him to have that aggressive mindset. When he pitches aggressively and almost angry, kind of like Tyler Glass now, Mm -hmm. uh, then Blake Snell is at his very best. And speaking of Tyler Glass now, it really has looked the last couple of times that we've seen him, he's been more linear. Uh, He's stayed within himself. He hasn't tried to do too much. He has not come out of his mechanics and started to get jumpy. He's just, you know, he's simplified those mechanics and it's just up down with that leg and then glide towards home plate and then really, you know, let that ball fly and, and power through the strike zone. And that's what he's doing. He's powering through the strike zone. And when, when he has his stuff powering like that, you, you don't have much of a chance. It's, it's fun to watch him get, you know, his work done with basically just two pitches because the changeup, he may throw it in a couple of times during a game, but no hitter is even remotely worried about that pitch. They're worried about the big fastball and the curveball coming off of it, and they don't seem to have a whole lot of answers for it. With good reason. I mentioned the players get a lot of credit here, but how much credit should go to Kyle Snyder, pitching coach, and Stan Borowski for guiding this group and creating confidence for guys who haven't really pitched much at the big league level? It's huge. Those are the guys behind the scenes. Um, You know, we always talk about this being a player's game, and it is. But you know what? Those players have to be put in good position to be able to go out and succeed. And they need proper coaching. They need guys that know how to push their buttons to be able to get the very best out of them. And that's why I think whether you're talking about Chad Matola as a hitting coach, Kyle Snyder as the pitching coach, Stan Borowski as the bullpen coach, they have an entire staff of players, whether it be position, pitchers, bullpen guys, that you have to make a connection with and on an individual level, and not everybody is the same. You know, what you may do to, uh, to connect with Charlie Morton is going to be different than how you connect with Tyler Glass now or Blake Snell, you know, or Diego Castillo. It's, it's going to be different. So you have to be like a chameleon, find what works for each guy, and what do I have to do to be able to relate to them, to, to get them to earn my trust, and then to put them out in a position that when they go out there, they know they're out there for a reason, and that's to get the job done. And I think that our coaching staff, really top to bottom, they are phenomenal at that, at, those, at building those relationships and that trust with their players. And it seems to me Pro Scouting's done a pretty good job, too, because they have found a lot of six-year free agents that are different from the other guys they have here. Yeah. Well, that, that's what, you know, it, it's interesting. There, there's a plan here. There, there is a master plan and a blueprint for success. And so they're out there scouring the waiver wire, scouring guys that may have slipped through the, the, the cracks, and they're able to evaluate them and say, you know what, they do whatever it may be pretty well. And it's not being taken advantage of by the organization that they're in right now. So if they're made available we can get them. If they're DFA'd, we'll just go grab them. We can bring them over here, show them, hey, we think that you do this well, and we're going to start to exploit that, and we're going to make some other parts of your game a little bit better, make them serviceable, but we're really going to focus in on your strength, and we're going to take that out there and use that to help us win games. And they are they may be the best organization upstairs at being able to go out and do that to find guys, bring them in, and make them out to be way more than they were at their previous stop or stops, 
you know, it, it's incredible. It never makes for a boring day for me or you, that's for sure. When they're bringing in guys, like when they made the, the trade for Reed uh, with the Reds, or they go out and pick him up. I don't think it was a trade. It was a DFA situation. But regardless, all of a sudden you start looking at his profile and say, oh, okay, I see. The slider gets a little bit more break depth, that, you know, than most guys, better than average. So you can start to envision how, how they're going to use him. And uh, they do it as good as anybody. It certainly we'd assume he'll be a good fit. The expectation is Charlie Morton hopefully is back this week, that the next homestand you get back Anderson and Drake. Of the remaining guys that the Rays have lost due to injury, who do you think is the most important piece that they've lost and why? Jeez. I mean, if you get back... You got Chirinos, Poche, Kittredge, Beeks, Alvarado, McKay. See, here's the problem. You've got a couple of those guys, you know, Beeks, Chirinos is done. Uh, McKay is done. Those three, you know, love to have Beak. I, I love what Beaks was doing. Okay. Um, you know, Poche, you know, he's, I don't think he's going to have a chance uh, to get back up here. So, you know, you, you think Alvarado, we've seen Alvarado when, when he's at his very best, peak Jose Alvarado is as good and dominant of a reliever from the left side as you will find. Um, you need him to, you know, have his mind in the right spot and to be physically well. And if he is, then this guy's as good as it gets. If you can get that guy to add him to what you're talking about already on the way back, boy, oh boy, you talk about shortening a game, which you may have to, because Charlie Morton, when he comes back, you know, how far is he going to be able to go initially? And, you know, before you know it, season's going to be coming to a close. We got a few more weeks. So is he going to be able to ramp back up? And is everybody going to be all the way spread out? You're going to have to lean on that bullpen. So another big bullpen piece at the back end would, would help out a lot. However, that being said, you all those names you'd love all of them to come back i just can't believe the quality of the pitchers that are on that il right now um and yet the race still find a way finding a way it is and you have found a way to help us get through this segment ba we appreciate some time <laughs> on this week in race baseball absolutely neil anytime appreciate it brother that's brian anderson of fox sports sun before we continue let's pause for station identification on the race baseball network WTAE St. Petersburg, WBTP HD3 Clearwater, W224BE Brandon, and W237CW Pinellas Park. We continue on this week in race baseball, and joining us now from Port Charlotte, he was a minor league pitcher of the year in the organization last year. That is Joe Ryan. Joe, thanks very much for a few minutes. Thanks for having me. First of all, what has um, this whole period been like, and what has it meant to be one of the players in the in the 60-man pool? It's been uh, pretty easy. I think uh, coming in, we was a little unknown how everything was going to go. Uh, getting to Port Charlotte and just assessing the complex and how they had everything set up. But it was smooth from the get-go. They had everything laid out really well, super simple, and just get in, get out, get your work done. And, yeah, like, it, honestly, at this point, it doesn't feel any different than normal. So um, the transition has been pretty easy, and it's, yeah, it's just baseball. That's good to hear. You know, Dewey Robinson, who's, you know, one of the pitching gurus in the organization, said some really good things about you last week. So I'm curious how you feel you've grown in this period down there. Yeah, I think just taking the opportunity, social distancing, obviously, so you're not hanging around so many guys. So it gives you a little bit more time, I think, where I found myself in spring training, I'd try to be in and out of the weight room and not really uh, utilizing the strength coaches as much as I could. But I think getting to spend some of the time with them and then getting to spend some of the time with the pitching coaches and just get to talk with them a little bit more one-on-one, just learning a lot of new things and how I can move better and clean some stuff up, but also just pitching and getting back to facing hitters is probably the biggest thing, just getting back to that groove. Is it more of a 
not a one-to-one -one ratio, but in terms of a classroom setting, are you getting more attention than you might during a normal season? It's a, it's about normal. I just think like being around the same coaches where in, in season it was like, okay, we're playing games and we're focused on that. And, and, and there's a game every single night. So as a starter right now, it's, we're only going to the games every fifth or sixth day and everyone, cause it's just minimizing contact. So we're trying to keep our distance from people. But um, I think in the small groups of pitchers too, I think we're like five or six guys are going out there to go throw. So yeah, there's Dewey and Rick Knapp are out there and they're there for us. So yeah, I think it's like one coach every two pitchers pretty much. So it's been, it's been great. How about the challenge of facing some of the talented hitters in this organization? Um, and how has that helped you? It's been great. Um, starting with live VPs was a perfect way to set it up and got to face those guys and learn some things, pick a, pick apart the same hitters over and over again. And then trying to like look at them differently, maybe thinking of them as like another guy in the big leagues that you can, how we, how you'd pitch to him or something. And yeah, I think just like looking at swings and learning a little bit more about reading that and just how other pitches complement other pitches. So yeah, that's been pretty helpful and just getting that experience to learn there. In terms of the, the prospects in this organization, who is the toughest guy for you to face and why? Oh, I don't know right now. That's a good question. I don't know. Nate Lowe's got me a couple times. So he's, uh, he's got some, I think he got a double the other night down the line last week or something. So he's been good. Walls has been killing it. He's been looking great. Just full steam ahead, looking awesome. So it's been fun to watch those guys. And then obviously Wander, uh, number one prospect for a reason. And it's, it's been fun to get out there and watch him play. Personally, in terms of the competition, Dewey had said that what's great about some of the young pitching prospects is you really have made the most of the game opportunity. Do you treat it as if it's a normal game in Montgomery or Durham or wherever it may be? How do you make sure that you're getting the most out of it? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, last night was a good competitive game for everyone too. And um, I just think once you step between the lines, it's game time and it doesn't really feel any different. There wasn't a ton of fans at every game last year and, PC or every game in BG. So getting used to that and just playing, competing with the, the batter in the box. So that just, those games really helped me with that. So I, it doesn't really change at all. I'm still competing just the same, if not more, because you're facing this, the turnover rate when you have a lineup of five or six guys, you're, you really want to stay on top of your game so you can beat them each time. One thing that Dewey mentioned was that each of you guys came in in a different situation because of how things were for you during the pandemic. What were things like for you during the pandemic and how difficult did that make it coming in? Where did you feel you were? I, I lucked out. I had um, an opportunity to have a gym. It was a home gym, but it had everything I could ever need there and uh, an opportunity to use that facility and then going out to go throw. One of the catchers, actually Ryan Feynman, who is with us, uh, with the Rays for a while, he was there, and uh, I could I threw with him every single day. He caught my bullpen, so it was good to be able to do that and get some work in. And then, yeah, it was it was a pretty smooth transition. There's a couple things that we like worked out that I was just a little bit. One thing the the posture was getting a little too posture was too good, I guess. I was uh, a little too upright, and so got back to old mechanics and like feeling good and getting a little smoother and learning some learning some more from nappy especially we're been working a lot so yeah it's been it's been a smooth transition but i was a, very fortunate to be able to work during the quarantine 
And when we spoke last year, I know you were improving a lot of your secondary stuff. What do you think has grown the most and in what area? Um, I would say consistency with the changeup and the slider. Both pitches are feeling good and just learning how to use those and learning that I can throw those exactly like my fastball, exactly like my curveball and um, feel that same arm speed and let the arm work and not try to manipulate the ball too much and just trust it. And when I'm trusting it, it's elite. So I love it. And I think one of the unique things about being part of the 60 player pool is you guys have really the same responsibility as every guy up here. What's that like for you? Um, and are, do you have a roommate? Are you doing this on your own? What's, what's kind of your situation once you leave the ballpark? Yeah. Shane, Shane Boz and I are living together. So we got a place and, um, we just leave and come back here, throw our masks on if we need to get groceries. Um, but yeah, we don't really do anything at all. It's just hanging out and a lot of Netflix, a lot of Rays games and just, yeah, waiting for the next day. And who does the cooking or do you guys Uber it? Uber Eats, DoorDash, what's the... Not much DoorDash down here. Um, so DoorDash when we can. Um, we'll go pick up food at this Texas Best barbecue place, and they've been outstanding. So just masks on and, uh, yeah, just drop it in the back seat and Venmo. So it's been uh, it's been working well. I've been uh, going the rotisserie chicken route at Publix pretty much daily now and just trying to eat a whole chicken. So it's been good. And how much of you, how much of you enjoyed him and, and vice, what have you learned from him and vice versa? Cause you, know, you guys are both very talented. Yeah. It's just been, he's, uh, he's pretty good with the arm path stuff and learning about the weighted balls and everything. He's, he's made some good improvements on his pitches um, pretty recently. And this, this whole quarantine time, he's been working his butt off. So yeah, it's another hardworking guy. So it's good to be uh, living with him and just get to bounce ideas off each other and, talk shop daily and how focused are you during those race games what would it mean to you to get that chance to help out oh it'd be great I mean obviously that's that's the goal and uh the expectation so yeah I'm it's seeing how I would pitch to certain hitters and uh how in in the positives of how other guys are pitching as well as it was fun to see Flem throw the other night and just certain pitches like the setup to that change up to Vlad to strike him out in the first was awesome and just watching him pitch was is just super fun. Well, I've, again, I've heard great stuff about the work you're doing, Joe, down in Port Charlotte. Keep it up, and hopefully we will see you soon. Will do. Look forward to seeing you. And that is Rays pitching prospect Joe Ryan. We wish him success going forward. Coming up, Sid Malone on amateur scouting in a COVID world, and Mike Farron on the training deadline. This is the This Week in Rays Baseball on the Rays Baseball Network. Well, we continue on this week in race baseball and time to take a look at things on the operations side and joining us, administrator and amateur scouting, that being Sid Malone. Sid, thanks very much for a few minutes. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. I know that when um, the draft occurred, Rob Metzler raved about some of the work you did. Tell me how different it was preparing for a draft and the whole process of getting players signed. How different was it from the previous years? Yeah, it's, it's very different. I mean, this was my second year. So um, all I have to compare it to was 2019, but you know, the simplest thing last year, we had 42 players we were trying to sign. Um, I think we ended up signing 33 of them plus some non-drafted free agents. Um, and this year we only had six. So that was, I guess, a little less stressful, just not having to coordinate so many traveling and so many signings and stuff like that but more stressful being like you know we had to make sure that we followed protocols and that we could sign them in the stadium everybody had a mask and everybody's temperature was checked and all that kind of stuff yeah so that was a little different obviously and then different 
that we weren't able to, you know, whenever we shut down, I was in Phoenix um, for a conference and I was going to the ASU game or the ASU games that weekend and they obviously canceled them. And so that was right. That was, I mean, maybe four weeks into the season. And so we only had four weeks of a draft spring for these kids to watch them. And, you know, so we had to watch a lot of videos. It required a lot more. I mean, we're, I feel like we're really good at communicating with our remote staff in general, but you know, it required a lot more talking to them and a lot more of their input, the input that they already have and, um, already. So it's just a lot different there. Um, and then just being remote and not being able to, you know, walk into Rob's office if he's there or Ham's office or JJ's office and ask a question, you know, and you kind of just had to pick up the phone and call them and make sure that it's not bedtime for their kids or <laughs> stuff like that. So just kind of organizing that and making sure that we were on the right path there was a little different, but I think I tried to kind of look in on the bright side of it and try to see the positive. I think in a few years, I mean, obviously this is a terrible, not a fun time for our world and our nation and baseball, but I think we'll look back on a few years and kind of be proud of how we operated and what we learned through it. So that's kind of the positive I'm trying to find out of it, but we'll see. So were you in Arizona looking at Alika Williams, who you ended up drafting and signing at the time? He was he was one of them that I was looking at, but I mean Spencer Torkelson was there. We obviously kind of had an idea that we probably wouldn't get him, but yeah, there are a lot of other guys. They I think they were playing Utah at that point that weekend, but yeah. So I didn't get to see Alika this year, but I saw Alika last year because I went to the same conference in Phoenix. So that was pretty exciting when we signed him. And since some amateur baseball has resumed on the travel circuit, how much have you done outside of the ballpark since, and how much has it changed? the way that you and all amateur scouts within the race organization do their work? I think I've only been to one physical amateur game, and it was um, a Florida Gulf Coast League summer league game, watching some guys up there. It's different just because we can only have a certain amount of scouts per team at each event, and each event is kind of different. So with East Coast Pro, um, normally, like last year, we sent maybe, I think there were like 18 of us, and so – I went to Birmingham last year with that, and this year we could only send, I think it was five. And then area codes this year, we could, MLB only let us send two, let us send two. So it's just a little different. Um, they, The guys that went there, they obviously had a lot more work to do than the previous summers, but it's just different because, you know, that's usually a time that we all come together and we get to see each other one of the five times we all see each other per year, so it's a little sad just in general that we couldn't do that, but they've been very helpful with um, like supplying us with video and all the data and all that kind of stuff. So it obviously, we don't, we don't think it can take the place of actually being there, but it's been, it's been helpful that we can watch that video and analyze that data. So give our fans an idea as to your background. How did you get into scouting and baseball to begin with? When did you get bit by the bug? So I have a little unconventional background, I would say. So it started off normal. I went to Ole Miss and I worked two years. Um, I was a student assistant there. So I operated um, some player development programs. So bats, you know, I just tracked the game um, and then cut video and gave it to our pitching coach and stuff like that so that he could help the pitchers with their mechanics. And I was a scout liaison before the game. So I kind of got to know some people um, or a lot of people through that. And then two summers I spent in the Cape with the Wareham Gateman. So my first summer I was a scouting intern and a player development intern. And so we did a lot of bats work with that too and working with the pitching coach there. Um, And then 
Andy Lang, who's the general manager there, went to scout school. And so he had all of his materials from scout school. And so he basically taught us the basics and the very surface level how to scout just because we were only there for two months. You know, we couldn't dig super deep into it. And so I learned that my first summer and then kind of built on that my second, my senior year working at Ole Miss. And then that next summer, I wasn't job searching yet because I was going to law school. And so I, Andy asked me if I wanted to come back and be the assistant GM and kind of oversee the baseball ops interns. And so I did that and kept building there. And so then I went to law school at Arizona State for two and a half months in fall 2018. And then Chanda called me the morning of my contracts midterm and asked me, she's like, hey, we have your resume someone sent us. We like are very intrigued with your background. We were just wondering if you wanted to apply for this job that we have available. And it ended up being Sammy's former job which is the job I have now. So I just dropped out of law school and took the job and here I am. It's a little unconventional, but wouldn't, wouldn't change a thing. So a couple of things there. Did you, when did you become a huge baseball person? Did you play sports throughout high school that you led to become an assistant at, at Ole Miss? Yeah. So my dad played, he actually played at Mississippi state. So we have a little rivalry there. And then he played a little bit of pro ball with the Oakland A's organization. And it's just always been in our family. I played baseball until I was 12. So I started, you know, T-ball when I was four, I actually grew up a huge Red Sox fan, which is a little ironic now, but yeah. So it's just always been in our family. You know, our family vacations always centered around, you know, let's find a park, let's go see a game. Um, we actually, one year when I was in college, we went, we drove up. So I'm from Alabama. So we drove from North Alabama to Milwaukee, watched a game there, and then drove to Chicago, watched a game in Wrigley. And then at the time it was U.S. Cellular. And then we drove to Detroit and watched the Red Sox play the Tigers. So that's just kind of what we've always done. And I never really, I've always wanted to work in baseball and I never really thought about anything else, which looking back, I probably should have had some backup plans, but you know, I just, I just knew this is kind of what I wanted to do and thought law school was a good route to kind of get there. And if it didn't work out, then, you know, being a lawyer wasn't a terrible plan. But yeah, so at the time I thought I wanted to be an agent, but so that's where law school came in. Yeah, it's just always been in, played high school sports and then just knew I wanted to work for the team at Ole Miss. So we went that route. So do you want, are you going to finish your law school degree at some point while you're working in baseball? What's the, what's the plan there? and What's kind of the higher uh, goals? For the past two years, you know, I've always thought I, I want to go back to law school. It's something that was always a goal. And then this pandemic hit and it all, it kind of made me have some quarter life crises. And <laughs> I kind of thought, which I feel like it did for a lot of people, but I just kind of thought about, you know, how I want what other experiences I want to have and what growth opportunities I want to have in law school didn't really sound like the best, the most efficient use of resources at the time. So I didn't really see a direct path of how law school would affect that and help that. So right now I actually applied to a couple grad schools for um, like data science analytics. And so hmm. how that turns out, I would maybe start in the spring, but we'll see. Concurrently with, with working for the Rays or? So it would be part-time. There's a program at USF and there's a program at Florida or it would be online. Just the programs that I applied for are not strictly online. They're supposed to be in person, but obviously with COVID, mm-hmm. they don't know really what the spring looks like, but we'll see. And do you, I asked Sammy this too, do you see yourself as a role model? And did you have any role models in terms of obviously your dad, but, but being a woman in baseball and, and taking the path, there are not a lot on the scouting side. I don't know. I, I would like to say that I have the qualities of being a role model, 
I don't know. I don't know if I am. I would hopefully I'm able to kind of be a role model for other girls and even guys who want to get into this. But I, yeah, I did have, I mean, growing up, I knew I, I thought I wanted to be an agent. And so Gina Afterman with the Yankees was someone I looked up to, obviously. And then Kim Ng and Raquel Ferreira with um, the Red Sox. And then over this past at winter meetings, I met Kelly Rodman with the Yankees. And unfortunately, she passed away this past spring, but she was incredible. And so just talking with her and learning with her and her, obviously, we were um, rivals at the time so she couldn't tell me like the ins and outs of her scouting expertise but you know we talked a lot about how we got in the game and she was incredible so yeah I definitely had looked up to those women growing up and then Kelly over the past few months or so but I don't know hopefully I would like to be a role model I hope that I have those qualities well she did really good stuff and congrats on all the good work that you're doing to this point and hopefully more in the future thank you and that's Sid Malone with good stuff on amateur scouting in a COVID world. Time now to take a look at the national picture with a trading deadline now about, oh, 27 or so hours away. Joining us from SiriusXM and also Diamondbacks Radio, good friend Mike Farron. Mike, thanks very much for a few minutes. It is good to talk to you, Neil. Tell me how active you think these next 27 hours are going to be and what types of players are likely to be moved with 16 playoff spots this year. Yeah, so I, I was anticipating it being pretty quiet, but this morning has kind of altered my feeling out a little bit with three, you know, not insignificant moves when you think about Jose Martinez going and you think about Mitch Moreland. I mean, those are guys that are, you know, major league regulars and, and key contributors. So um, I think it's going to be probably players that are pretty similar and that they aren't owed a ton of money. Um, I don't know that you're going to see maybe the star power that you would at the trade deadline, maybe one deal like that. Um, but for the most part, I think it's going to be relievers, role players, uh, maybe depth starters that are going to be uh, the guys that end up getting moved. And I think you probably will see more deals like what you saw between the Rays and the Cubs this morning in that you're talking about a couple of contenders trading based on need or surplus. Yes, and for those who uh, are just joining us, uh, the Rays did formally announce minutes ago that they had traded Jose Martinez to the Cubs for two players to be named later, meaning that they are guys who are not in the 60-player pool um, and because those players can't be named right now. And this also creates for the Rays uh, a path for Randy Arozarena, who was down with COVID in summer camp and who they really, really like and really was the key piece in that deal with uh, the Cardinals for Matthew Libertor. You know, I, I talked to some people a couple of years ago about a Rosarena, some scouts who had seen him who said, and this was, I think, leading into the year he was in the Futures game, so all the years blend together now, Neil. I think it was the year we were in D.C. <laughs> they said the thing that stood out about a Rosarena was he had an extremely high baseball IQ. And I don't know if he's, you know, a star regular kind of player or even just kind of like a major league regular, but I think he's one of those quality role players at the very least, on a championship-caliber club. And I I was excited for them to get him because he was going to get an opportunity, I felt like, with the way the Rays do things. And he, I think, will absolutely get a chance at some point. Um, and he can really play the outfield. He can run the base as well. He's a good hitter. And there are a lot of things to like. He probably doesn't have as much power as you like, and that's probably what limits him um, from being a regular. But I think he's got a chance to be a very, very solid player. And obviously the Rays have very high hopes for him. And then the Rays got a break and that they still have to play the the uh, Orioles 
and they don't have to face Tommy Malone because he got moved to the Braves, who obviously <laughs> needed starting pitching. Yeah, and and like not a big move. Obviously, Malone has thrown the ball pretty well for Baltimore. Um, I think they made some adjustments, and, and it sounds like they made him a little bit more reliant on his changeup, which is a really good pitch. And, um, you know, he's listen, the, the Braves are in a position where they have had, I think, more than half of their starts have not thrown, uh, a, their starters have not thrown a pitch in the fifth inning. And they're not built like the Rays to be able to withstand that. They're built mm-hmm. in a more traditional manner. So getting somebody that can eat innings had to be near the top of the list for Alex Anthopoulos, and I wouldn't be surprised if they're do- if they're not done when it comes to trying to add at least one more starter. In in the you know you mentioned the kind of trades that you think are going to occur. I, I find it intriguing, at least from an American League standpoint. I think the eight teams to me are the eight teams that would be in today, and really those yeah. eight teams are kind of playing for seed and how much they can improve their playoff position and maybe help their position next year if it's not a rental. Yeah, I think I think in Toronto's case, you know, obviously in acquiring Taiwan Walker, this helped that. But for them, it's about trying to solidify where they are in that mix. Because I think you're right. I mean, you know, Detroit's, what, a game under 500 now, unless they, they all of a sudden find some, you know, consistent offense, which I, I don't necessarily think is going to be the case, especially with C.J. Crone done for the year. I don't think that they can mount a charge at Toronto. But the Jays could put themselves in a position to, you know, create a little bit more depth, be a little bit more competitive in, you know, an opening round postseason series or potentially beyond if they were able to win it. Because let's face it, I mean, a three-game series, anything can happen over the course of the regular season. And anything can happen in the playoffs and that kind of thing. You could have an under-500 team beat, you know, like in the National League, it's not going to be out of the realm of possibility for the eighth seed to be under five hundred. And to have them beat the Dodgers in the opening round would not be shocking. So I think, you know, you're trying to solidify your position, but you're right. In, in, in like Toronto's position, they're, they're a really good young team, and they have some holes that they could maybe fill longer term. And so maybe they look at that. And I go back to something that, that Mike Hazen, the general manager of the Diamondbacks, has talked a lot about over the last several years, which is that there are very few windows of acquisition that are really open. And they you know, tend to be in the free agent period, around the winter meetings via trade, and then leading into the trade deadline. And so if you're going to improve your club, you know, whether it's for the short or long term, you need to take advantage of those windows of opportunity. And, you know, he learned from Mark Shapiro, who is the president in Toronto, and I would not be surprised if that's one of the things that Toronto is looking at is, okay, this is our window of, you know, acquisition. We have a chance to add someone who helps now and in the future. And who knows if Walker enjoys his time in Toronto, he could come back. And I agree with you on on the you know one two seeds losing to a seven or eight in a in an opening round series. I mean, to me, the White Sox if they if they finish third or Cleveland and Toronto, they're both dangerous clubs. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I think that's one of the things that's really fascinating about this playoff structure this year is that we're going to see, you know, a seven or eight seed most likely win one of those series and knock out one of the favorites early on. And it probably would be less likely if it were a five game series, but um, you know, it's going to have a little bit more of a March madness field in the tournament because it's just a three game opening set. What's your feeling on the national league? Because I think the American league is a little (laughs) bit clearer. The NL is so murky right now. Yeah, what, 14 teams within two and a half games of a playoff mm-hmm. spot right now? And um, you know, there's only, I think, what, six teams currently at 500 or better in the league? 
I, yeah, I, I can't really make sense of the bottom of it. Um, you know, I think the, the, the Cubs uh, are in good position. The Dodgers, are, I think, are probably the best team in baseball overall. And I think, obviously, Atlanta is well-positioned despite their rotation struggles to this point. The teams that I think are really interesting in here are Philadelphia and San, San Diego. The Phillies' starting pitching is actually really good, and their offense has been robust. And JT Realmuto is having a terrific year, and so is Bryce Harper. And I think that's a really interesting team to watch. Their bullpen has not been good. You know, they kind of made the first salvo of the trade season by getting Brandon Workman and Heath Embry from the Red Sox. That would help. To, that helps them for sure. But I think that there's, there's um, you know, that they're kind of teams that I look at and feel like they have the best chances of getting there. San Diego's a lot of fun. I mean, they're a fun team to watch. After that, you know, even those teams that are in the you know 13th or 14th position right now, if you get hot and you end up at like 29 wins for the season, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that you're the seven or eight seed in the playoffs. Got about 30 seconds, Mike. What's your feeling? Do the Yankees do anything to counter the Rays and try and make a move? Yeah, I think they're probably going to add pitching. I mean, they need pitching help, but I don't think it's going to be a particularly sexy move for them. All right, well. It will be interesting to follow. I certainly appreciate some time on uh, This Week in Rays Baseball and uh, should be an intriguing next 27 hours for sure. It is always my pleasure to talk to you, my friend. Stay safe. You too. That is Mike Farron of SiriusXM and the Diamondbacks, and we certainly appreciate his time and that of all of our guests on the program today, among them Jalen Beeks as well as Brian Anderson of Fox Sports Sun. Thanks to Joe Ryan, too, one of the Rays' top pitching prospects, and also Sid Malone from Baseball Operations. If you ever have something you want to hear on the program, all you have to do is tweet me at Neil Solons. Next week, we will review the moves that the Rays made at the trading deadline with the Rays' senior VP and general manager, Eric Neander. That and a whole lot more. Special thanks to my producer today, Derek DuBose. Great job as usual. I'm Neil Solon. Stay tuned. Rays trying to sweep a series today from the Marlins and maintain the best record in the AL. This is the Race Baseball Network.